I'm excited that we are in week four of our Relationship Toolbox series, this uh, series about different tools that, that we can use to help in all the relationships that we have in life with God, with each other, with creation. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a, a fun series, I think, looking at these different things. And last week we, we talked about a day planner and this uh, new cool way of having a piece of paper, right, that you can look at the different relationships that you have in life and, and kind of schedule how do people get time in my life and who am I giving that to? And we tried to understand the, the simple idea that Jesus loved everyone equally but he didn't spend equal time with everyone, right? It, it's just a, it's not possible to spend equal time with everybody. So we've got to figure this out. He's got his core, he's got his circle, his community, and then this giant crowd. And after last week's message, I continued to get the question from quite a few people. Like this is, I, I understand this idea of like a core group of people and a circle of people, a, a community, and a, I get it, but where does my family fit in this? How do, I, how do I deal with my family in this context? And I thought, you know, that is such a good question because in this series, I, I've really been trying to pull tools out that would apply to all different relationships, really spread the gamut so that it was high enough that it would affect whether, what you do at work, what you do at home, what you do with extended family, the whole thing. But, you know, it's, it's simply because we're all in different places in life, right? So the tools that we need are going to be different, whether you're married, you're single, you're divorced, you're, uh, you know, you're still at home and you're with your parents or your grandparents and, or your grandparents and you're trying to take care of kids. Like, it's so different for everybody. So I've tried to keep it pretty higher, like these are for anybody to do. But when it comes to family, I feel like that question this week had me thinking a lot and I thought because our family impacts us so much, because it feeds into who we are and our identity so much, this is one relationship. And as we look at our toolbox that I would like to look at specifically is, is our families, like these people that we're around all the time. And, you know, it, it's just to kind of explore the idea of family. We're going to be looking at a tool that I use somewhat regularly and I use this tool simply because I love cooking, I love grilling, and uh, it's some of my favorite things to do. And Eileen trusts me to cook most of the food in our house, which I appreciate. And so we'll be looking and having an apron as our uh, tool for today. And you know what, this is way longer than I remember. So we're gonna come around front like I used to do when I worked at Starbucks and wore my apron. Um, so we're gonna come around front this way. Uh, this is my Philly house. Uh, apron. This is one of the homeless ministries that we support as a church that we give to the longest running three meal a day uh, homeless ministries in Philadelphia. So if you ever are looking for a great place to volunteer, I highly suggest Philly House. Um, oh, I highly suggest it. But you know, it's funny, my apron when I wear this a lot, um, hey, that's a pretty good bow. Um, when I'm cooking, this saves me so much. Do you know why? When I have stuff all over my hands, I, I tend to do this a lot. Any, any wipers in the house? Yeah, you just, you just do this all the time. And you're like, okay, yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's no good when you have clothes. That's why my apron is the savior of those clothes, right? Uh, except when I'm using meat, then I get really careful. I'm not like, oh, raw chicken. This is great, you know? Um, you know, careful about it. But when I do this, I'm always like, okay. And as I had the apron thinking through this week, it reminded me of 
a message that I heard from a pastor whose name is Andy Stanley. And I heard this message about 10 years ago. And he asked a question in that message I've never forgotten. And I, I remember it, it, you know, when when you remember what a pastor said from 10 years ago, that's, that's pretty impressive, right? That's, I mean, how many sermons do we hear? I re- 10 years ago, I remember this, and I was like, man. And so I revisited that message again, and I remember I actually at one point preached a very similar message at Crossbridge, and I went back to that very same message again this week to say, is there something in here that we need to hear again, that we need to listen to? And so I felt like it's crucial to relook at this and to update it for this series for our culture. So if you've been with Crossbridge for the last 10 years and you're like, hey, I think I've heard this or ideas about it, yes. But I will tell you, as I looked through this again this week, it impacted me just as much as it did the first time. And I'm like, this is why I need to be reminded. And here's why. Because when it comes to family, family's a touchy subject. Family gets really sensitive. We tend to protect our families or we can go after our families. And what makes family so difficult is we have this tension of what we want as the ideal family, but then what is real. We have an ideal and then what's real is very different than the ideal. And regardless of what our family looks like as we're growing up, we want things to look different when we have our own families. How many of you have ever said that phrase, when I grow up, I'm going to do things different? You know, you, you, you could, you're not shaming your parents. They can't see you right now unless they're next to you. Um, but we always say, like, I'm going to do things different, right? And unconsciously, what that tells me is we all have some sort of picture of what an ideal family looks like. We, we have this, and yet the reality that we live in is so different. Do you know what real looks like? Real is never close to what we think, because real for us is divorces. Real is separation, struggling marriages. It's countless parents, young and old, especially moms raising kids by themselves. Real is children who do not listen or behave like we thought they would. Real is thinking, you know, I I thought I'd be married by this point. I thought I would have started a family already. Real is having older kids who have families of their own and you're still trying to help them because you see them spiraling in their own homes and their families are not an ideal and real gets messy. Real might even be you're here today but your spouse or partner may not be because they don't believe what you believe and there is a home that's divided in beliefs. Real could be looking at your somewhat perfect family that feels like it's ideal. And yet you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're waiting for it to go wrong. And it looks ideal, but you know it's not. And I, I don't know what your real looks like today. I have no idea. But what I do know is it's probably quite different than your ideal. Real, your real looks different than your ideal. And I believe that God himself wants and has this ideal for us, but understands the real that we live in because our real is messy. And we live in a world that normalizes the real, that they say, you know what, it's okay if you get divorced, you didn't make it the first time, round two will be okay. Like give it a second shot, now you've learned those lessons. Real is normalizing these separations and estranged families, oh, I don't talk to that family member anymore. I'm like, that's okay, you know, that, that's all right. It's just relationships happen. And so we always say people, we always, it's okay, it's okay, everybody wrestles with these things. And we say it, but there's something inside us that knows it's wrong. 
Do you know how I know that? Because not one of us, not one of us would wish that our grandkids down the line that we have maybe never even met yet would have that type of family. That's how we know it's not ideal. Now, we normalize it so that we do feel better. But when we dream about our kids or grandkids' families, we don't want that real for them, do we? We want an ideal. And I, I, here's what I love and I get frustrated with with Jesus. Jesus has this ideal, and he takes what we have in our minds, this ideal, and when it comes to our families, he actually raises the bar. He, it almost gets a little bit harder. And Jesus, he always taught and he pointed towards an ideal. But here's what's great. He refused to condemn people when they fell short of it. Right? He always pointed to this is what I'm hoping for and desiring. And when people are like, I'm never going to get there. Do you know what he did? He said, that's okay. Come here. I've got this. And he's totally cool with the tension of real and ideal. You know, this ideal and real, oh, what do I, I can't get, he's like, cool, we, could, we can work with this. We're usually not cool with that tension. We don't like it. And so when you look at the entirety of the Bible, all of these 66 books, what I so appreciate about the word of God is there's not one family in here that's not dysfunctional. And I know it's like, you're like, wait, that encourages you? Yes, it gives me hope for my family right? Uh, there's not one group of people that I can look at as a unit, as a family and go, man, they had their stuff together. No way. They are so messed up. Story after story, family after family. And then what we do is we have the New Testament, which are these new teachings of Jesus, these letters to these churches, and they're about family and what family can do. Right? We have these teachings that are largely found on how a family should operate in the passage that Jeremy had read for us just a little while ago. And if you were to take the New Testament and sum it up, here is the summary of what I think family ideal can look like. And it's simply this. Husbands, love your wives, be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. That, that's pretty much the entire New Testament right there. This is, is this ideal that's there. And I mean, when you look at that, it's like, okay, husbands, love your wife, love her perfectly? Like, love your wives? And, and like, like, Christ loved the church? That's really hard. And, and if you're sitting there, wives looking at this going, submit to your husband? Do you know my husband? Have you met this guy? Obey my parents? Children, obey your parents? My parents are idiots. Yeah, right. You know I'm not listening to them. Don't exasperate my kids? For real, you got to be my kids. Teenaging is hard. Don't exasperate them. I hear that, amen. I, I feel you. I don't have to exasperate my kids. They exasperate me. And yet, this is the New Testament ideal. This is what we're to shoot for. 
And I don't know about you, but when I look at this list, all I begin to see is fail, fail, fail. And so what do we do when we fail at all these things? We begin to normalize it and just say, this is ridiculous. This is why I don't read the Bible. It's so outdated. It makes no sense. And so we normalize what we're currently experiencing because it's just easier for us. And what Jesus does is Jesus says, I'm not giving you that option. I understand what's real and I understand what's ideal. And I want you to learn to live in the tension. Now, just for fun, I thought if we were to look at that list of those four things and go ahead and tackle today the most controversial one, the one that if uh, you look at it and you're thinking, that's the most politically incorrect, I cannot believe it's up there, no one likes this verse in the Bible, especially women, which, which one of those would you guess is the toughest? Submit. Wives, submit to your husbands. Yes, wives, like, wives, in, in this verse... I could, let me tell you, this is one of the most misunderstood verses in all of the Bible. Um, and this is one of those things that does lead people to be like, this is why it's so outdated. It's not relevant. But here's what you need to know. That verse is a specific application to women of a principle that was given to everyone. Okay, that verse is a very specific application to a verse, a command that's given to everyone. And here's how Paul says it in Ephesians 5, in that verse 22 that Jeremy wrote, it says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, ladies, let me just speak to you for a second. Um, I, I want you to know that whenever a man brings this verse up to me, and it has happened, and it's like, don't you understand this? Uh, in regards to their wife, I always point them back to who the verse is directed at. And so, uh, gentlemen, really quick, who is this verse directed at? Wives. It's directed right here to wives, right? See, for wives, and so that's who it's directed to. Um, now, just a second ago, I had four things up there, and here's what's funny. Two of them applied to men, one of them applies to the woman. And if gentlemen would stop trying to reinforce the one verse for their wives and start to try to learn and practice the two for them, this would be a whole different conversation. Ladies, this is your amen moment. Okay, right? So ladies, I, I'm just telling you, I am for you. Uh, this is not a message where it's like, that's it. Put your apron on and get in the kitchen because that's the way this is. That is not what the Bible teaches by any means at all. I cannot find that through scripture. But here's why it's important is because Jesus constantly taught on the value of love. It's the ultimate goal in all that we do. Everything, loving God, loving people. That's what we celebrate every single week here at Crossbridge. And so what happens is Jesus teaches all of this. And then we have these two guys, Peter and Paul, they come together and they take all of Jesus's teachings and they're trying to figure out, okay, based on all these teachings that we find and that he, he said, how do we apply this in these small little communities that are developing of all these little Jesus followers that are, they're gathering together. This church is developing and so they begin to look and they see grandparents, parents, kids. They see all the normal issues that your family and my family has. And they go, how can we take what Jesus says about love and apply it to family? That might sound really normal for us today is to say, how do we take what Jesus says and apply it to this thing? Yes, but for this culture, what you have to understand is that was not the norm. 
This might have never, ever been done before. It was a revolutionary idea because in their culture, here's what you have to understand. And it's not even then, it still is pretty current. Being male and being wealthy made you powerful, okay? And, and you lived your life continuing to try to gain more wealth and wondering how everything in your life can continue to get you power so that you could influence more people to gain more wealth and gain more power. Because whoever has wealth and whoever has power, you get to make the rules, right? Well, I mean, just think before, this, in this time, it's Rome who's making all the rules, wealth and power. Before that, you had the Greeks, the Persians. Before that, you've got Egypt. Whoever's got the wealth, whoever's got the power gets to make the rules. And then what Jesus does, Jesus comes and says, okay, I, I know what you're thinking here, but I'm going to turn it upside down. And he basically tells those in power, your role here is to be present for the powerless. It's not to gain more, it's to give it away. And what Peter and Paul are about to do is so new to transform and let love be demonstrated in the family, this is next level stuff. And so the verse that we were looking at in verse 22, it just happens to apply to the wives. But verse 21, the verse before it, actually gives us the overarching principle that we are all accountable for. We are all accountable for. Would you stand with me as we read together? Ephesians 5, verse 21. We're going to read it twice. This is our command in families. Would you read with me? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's say that again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's funny here. The same word is used as verse 22. That word? Submit. Submit. And it's to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, if you are a Jesus follower, all the people here that you would say, I'm a church person, I'm a Jesus follower, everyone who's trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, this is your command in your family. This is what ideal family looks like. And the overarching principle he's going to say is, I want everybody in your family to submit to everybody in your family. That sounds weird. But the idea behind this, the big idea is mutual submission. Okay, mutual submission. Everybody is to submit to everybody in the family. And then what Paul does to this church, he says, let me show you what this looks like. Everybody submit to everybody, mutual submission. Uh, wives, here's what you're supposed to do. Husband, here's what you're supposed to do. Kids, here's what you're supposed to do. Fathers, here's what you're supposed to do. And he applies it out for them. Does this make sense? Are you following with me here? Okay, it's so important because the wives submit verse that's here is basically an application of this verse 21. All of us are sub to submit ourselves to everyone else. And did you see why he, he, we do this? It's out of reverence for Christ. In other words, we're not called to submit to each other in our family out of reverence for each other. Because let's be honest, the each other probably doesn't deserve to be submitted to sometimes. Right? That other person, it's like, oh, uh-uh. I, I get it. But that's not why we're doing this. That's not why we practice mutual submission. We practice this out of reverence for Christ. And this is so powerful. And 
I'm just telling you, this is a life-changing way to live. For those of you who follow Jesus, um, this is everything. And again, it is not going to be ideal. This is going to be hard. There's going to be what's real. And this is ideal. I get it. But this is the, the, the principle we're aiming after. Mutual submission. It means, this is what mutual submission means for you. Ready? I am going to leverage my assets, my time, my power, my energy for your benefit. Whether I'm the father, I'm the mother, I'm the sister, I'm the brother, I'm the cousin, I'm the aunt, I'm the grandfather, I'm the grandmother, I am going to look for ways to get up under your burden and help you carry that burden. Not because you're you, but because I need to be in reverence for Christ. Because do you know what Christ has done for us? He got up under our burden of sin. And he leveraged his power. He leveraged his resources. He leveraged every single thing that he had going for him. All his authority, all his position. And he took it and he leveraged it for our sake. For you and for me. There is a sense in which he put us first by saying all of that mess, all of that sin that they can't carry, I will die for that sin so that they don't have to. Jesus demonstrated mutual submission over and over and over. And I'm reminded in John chapter 13 when he's with his uh, disciples at their last Passover Seder together, this last supper, and Jesus, the perfect son of God, do you know what he does? He takes off this outer coat that he has, this robe, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Their Lord, their rabbi, their teacher. He's, he's now setting an example for them. And you know what he says right after in verse 16? He says, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus demonstrates the principle, the idea, the picture of mutual submission, pointing out no one is greater than anyone else. Our role is to leverage who we are for the sake of those who are around us. There isn't an option or a choice in this for Jesus' followers. Because verse 17 says, now that you know, now that you know this, God will bless you when you do this. Not if, but when you do this. We are called to a life of service and mutual submission because this is the type of life that Jesus led. And what's funny is Peter's in that room. Peter's one of the guys that Jesus begins to wash his feet. And then Paul is the guy who learns about all the teachings of Jesus. And they take these principles, these ideas, these actions, and they ask the question, what does this look like then in our everyday life? Not just at the Last Supper. What does this look like in our real families when I go home from work? It looks like mutual submission. That's what this looks like. After hearing this message over 10 years ago, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I've had tons and tons of failings in this, in my own life, in my own family. But I believe more and more and more that whether it's in a family, in a company, in a neighborhood, a group of friends, mutual submission, this idea of mutual submission is the most powerful relational dynamic that there is. 
I just really believe that. When a group of people can come together and say, I'm going to loan you my influence. I'm going to loan you my power. I'm going to loan you my status, my money. I'm going to loan you everything that I have for your benefit. When everyone in a group could do that, it is the most impactful group dynamic practice that you can have. And it was modeled by Jesus. And so what Paul does is he comes along to this church in Ephesus with all of these families who are trying to figure out what they're doing. And he says, okay, when it comes to you guys trying to live out the gospel, the good news of Jesus, here's what it's going to look like. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the message of mutual submission. I'm here for you, not here for me. I'm here for you. Regardless of where we fall in the hierarchy of family, it just doesn't matter. If you're the father, you're the mother, you're the child, third born, second born, people forget you, so I'm mentioning you now. You're here, I see you. It just doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what we're saying is I'm here to leverage who I am for your benefit in our home, for your sake. Nobody in this family is more important than anybody else. We're going to mutually submit to one another. Does this make sense? It's a little hard, right? Because this is where our apron comes in. We can ask ourselves, I think, one question. And it, this is going to take us this one question from like, oh, that was, that was a good morning. I could think about those things. And that's, that's kind of nice. This is going to take it from a good Sunday morning message to very much a, okay, what am I going to do every day with this? How can I practice this? And here's the question that I want you to be able to ask that's going to take this to the next level. You ready? Here's your question. What can I do to help? That's your question. What can I do to help? How can I leverage who I am, what I have, to help you and be for your benefit? What can I do to help? Let's just practice that together really quick so I know you can, you've, you've learned it, all right? You ready? Well, I'm going to count to three. We'll practice it. One, two, three. What can I do to help? Okay, um, I can see some of you going, mm -mm, I don't know if I could practice this. No, it, trust me, no one's going to ask you anything right now. You're okay, so uh, we'll practice it one more time. You ready? Nice and loud. One, two, three. What can I do to help? Okay, this one question right here can change everything. And I'm telling you that because if everyone in your family asked everyone else in your family this one question one time a day, the entire culture of your family would change. Like, no. Yes, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Do you, you know why? Because this right here is an offer to say, in this moment, I'm ready to give all of who I am to you. What do you need? I'm loaning you me. What can I do to help? And so uh, parents, for, the, for those of you in middle school, high school, uh, maybe you're young adults uh, or adults still living at home, I want to talk to you for a second. Parents, um, just go ahead and earmuff for a second because this is not for you. This is for them. Listen, I'm telling you right now, if you put this into practice, you have no idea what massive points you're going to get. You have no idea. Listen, um, even if your parents are here today and you, they're like, oh, they're just asking because Pastor Jimmy said ask. Fine, let them think whatever they want to think. But I am telling you, um, even if you ask this question and they think that, it will not change the reaction most of the time. And the reaction when you say, what can I do to help? is going to be, 
What? 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 They're not going to know what to do. If you want to earn like super, super bonus points, do it when they have friends over. If they're throwing a party today to watch the Eagles and they're all excited, walk into the room and be like, Mom, Dad, is there anything I can do to help? Every person at that party is going to turn to your parents and be like, teach me, oh wise one. Okay, I'm telling you, you, you will earn so much credibility in your home and you're going to be like, that's all it took? That's all it took. But here's what you got to do. If you ask the question and they give you something, you have to do it. And if you ask the question and then you're like, oh, just give me five minutes, don't ask the question until you've already waited your five minutes for the excuse. But if you do that, I'm telling you, they're going to feel like heroes of people and be like, I am a decent parent, you know, because we struggle as parents. We can't get you to do what we want to do, and we don't know what to do. And listen, you got to jump right in when you ask this question. If they give you a job, just do it real quick. Um, Don't tell them to wait. Don't get to it eventually. Act on it right away. And I'm telling you, you will completely change the dynamic of your house. I'm not telling you to ask if there's anything you could do to help just so you could do the chore that you already got. Something a little bit different. Leverage who you are to help them. And if you have a single parent, if you're in a single parent home, man, they need you so much to ask this question because they carry so much weight that it's, it's, they need you. You have no idea. They don't want to fight you. They need you. Floor them with this questions. Parents, you can unearmuff. Middle school, high schoolers, put it on real quick. Parents, don't ask them to clean out the garage. If they ask this question, the goal isn't, what job don't I want to do that I'm going to dump on them? That's not what mutual submission looks like. That's slavery, okay? Mutual submission is, what can I do to help? Can you help me clean the garage? Is different than go do this. You know what I'm saying? Don't ask them to do something you're not willing to do because that's not mutual submission. That's just mandating things. That's not what they're asking, okay? Make sense? All right, all right, all right. We can talk to everybody. Husbands, wives, like, listen, this is going to change your marriage and it will take getting used to um, if you're married. Uh, This is not to be used as some sort of power power grab. This is not to be manipulative so that you can uh, get things to move in a direction that you want. You're not gaining bonus points for yourself that you can cash in later to say, but I did all these things. You're not keeping score. Um, Let me say that again. You're not keeping score with this because what this is, this is a clear question and demonstration of the promise that you made when you said, I will or I do, to agreeing to partner together for the rest of your lives till death do you part. You said, I will leverage who I am for the love of who you are and who you are created to be. I will give myself to you. And somehow over the time we say, but what can you do for me? This question changes. What can I do to help? You're reinforcing why. You love that person, the value for who they are. And it's very easy to to forget those promises, I'm telling you. Um, And and again, parents, I know that you do feel like you do so much for your kids already. And so you're kind of worried about like, great, am I supposed to ask this question every day? I'm already a taxi. I'm already an ATM. I'm already a this. And I understand. I feel those things. I, I feel that. And yet at the same time, I revisited this message and I began to ask every family member at least once or twice a day, what can I do to help? I, I feel like an idiot sometimes because I'm like, why don't I do this more often? The whole dynamic of my house was different. It was just so different. I'm like, what? why are they so happy? Because I'm not being a jerk as much. 
and I'm able to help them with whatever. It was so simple. Crossbridge, it was so simple. And it wasn't like I asked it every 30 seconds to try to reinforce it, but I was like, I'm going to preach on this. I better practice this, see if it's like effective again still. You know, like, what? yes, I could not believe it because what it actually made me do was stop doing what I felt like I had to do and was, I had no choice in stopping and say to my kids, to my wife, what can I do to help? Because who you are is more important than this thing that I think is important. You're worth stopping some stuff to leverage for however I can help you. I just, it works. It works. And I know that it all seems ideal, right? We live in the real. You know why we don't ask this question, though? Some of you are thinking, I'm just not going to do that. And the reason we don't ask the question is because, and at the risk of offending someone here, I believe it's because we're selfish and we're fearful. We are selfish and fearful people, and... We want things our way, but we're scared we're going to be taken advantage of, and it means that you're not willing to loan yourself to your family fully, and therefore, you will never truly be satisfied with how your family looks. You will never move towards an ideal, ever. You're never going to be happy with your family, because the whole approach when you can't ask this question is, if I can get everyone to do what I want them to do, I'll be happy. That's what we say, isn't it? Can I tell you something? Because I know you, you know me. You won't be happy. If everyone in your home did everything that you wanted, you still wouldn't be happy. You'd be large. You'd be in charge. You'd have all the authority, right? But you will never, ever be happy or be satisfied because happiness does not mean you can get everyone around you to do everything that you want them to do. That's not happiness. Happiness in a family setting is mutual submission. It's being willing to loan yourself to everybody else in that circle. And if everybody did what everybody was supposed to do and you're still not happy, it's because controlling people can't make us happy. You can't get happy by just controlling the people around you. You receive happy. You receive this fulfillment when you loan yourself to the people around you just like Jesus did for you. The key to the, every one of these family relationships is mutual submission. Asking the question, what can I do to help? And so when you can't ask this question, what can I do to help? You withhold something from every relationship that you're in. Do you know what that is? You. You withhold you. And here's what I love. Everyone. Whether you are here at Crossbridge and you are a follower of Jesus and you've dedicated your life to his teaching saying, I'm going to do this. This is no, you don't get a question on this if you want to practice it or not. This is our call. But if you're here and you're kind of figuring out who Jesus is and you're, you're still asking those questions, love that you're here and figuring it out. This still works even if you don't follow Jesus. Even if this is like, I'm just trying the church thing and you don't even want your family to know like I was at church and they're gonna make me, like give it a couple days and then try it and like this way they're not like a church thing. Just listen, you practice this, I promise you. You try this for a week and you're gonna come back and go, yeah, that was different. That was different. Could you imagine if people leveraged their time, their talents, their money, their resources for the sake of everybody else in their family? Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ because our passion for Jesus. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. And parents, especially dads, do not exasperate your children. Stop picking fights. You see, that's what it looks like 
when everyone in a family comes together and mutually submits to one another. That's the principle we're going after. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? It's so simple. It can change the real and begin to help us to take steps towards the ideal by asking this question. And even if you don't mean it, go ahead and try it. Even if you don't mean it, go ahead and try it. Um, and if you're like, I, I'm gonna try it, go ahead, tell like in a moment, get your family together and say, listen, I'm gonna try this. Get your husband, get your wife, get your kids. You know, and be like, okay, just give me a second. Bear with me. What can I do to help? Oh, I got it out. Whew, that was hard, right? You, you could do this. Practice it. Try it. And if they try it, they're like, Mom, Dad, that was awesome. You did great. Like, good job. Encourage them. They're trying, okay? I dream about families that are mutually submissive to, to each other. Never domineering. No one has all the value and worth in a family, but we are all for each other. And that when the culture around us who normalizes the real to say that's just the way it's going to be, looks at those who follow Jesus and say, but there's something in your family that's different. Yeah, you fight with each other. Yeah, you, you know, your kids argue with each other and want to beat each other up. Yes, you have the same amount of laundry that I have. Yet there's something different in your home. Why don't they fight like my kids fight? Why don't you and your spouse fight like my, my spouse and I fight? What's different? And mutual submission becomes not just an application in our family, but the very tool that Christ uses to help us share our faith in Jesus Christ to those who need hope for their families. That's why this tool becomes so important. And listen, um, I'll close with telling you this. When you want to ask this question least is probably when you need to ask it most. Okay, when, you, when you're like, mm, I just don't have the time for it, you might want to pause and ask why. When you want to ask at least is probably when you need to ask it most. I want to look like Jesus together with this. We close our service with moving towards the communion table together every single week. Because there are it was a moment that things got so messed up on earth and in God's great grace and mercy and plan for us, the father looked at his son and said, they're so messed up. Sin has destroyed them. This is not the ideal. And Jesus, I just imagine looking at the father saying, what can I do to help? It's gonna cost everything. Okay, what can I do to help? You're gonna give, give up everything. What can I do to help? Give your life, and Jesus says it's yours for them. And when we come around the table, we celebrate the fact that Jesus not only says, what can I do to help, but he says, I will do this. And then ask everyone who follows me to do the same. And when he was with his disciples, he held up the bread and he said, this is my body that's been broken for you so that when you can't hit the ideal and you're always at the real, I get it. That's why I've come. And yet the cup that's at the center, he holds up the cup of redemption and says, all those things that you thought disqualified you from the ideal, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. 
It covers all the mistakes so that we could start moving towards that ideal again, taking these steps. And he says, whenever you come to the table, you come as a family following Jesus together. This is who we are as a church. We are a family centered around Christ. And when you come to this table, if you've chosen to follow Christ, we invite you to do this. And if you have not chosen to follow Jesus, we would encourage you, please just hang back during this moment because this is a very special family moment that we invite you to look across the table as you break, as you dip, or as you use one of the cups and say, look at someone else's eyes across the table. If you are so bold, what can I do to help? Practice this with each other because this is what Jesus has practiced for us. Would you stand with me? Jesus, thank you for the privilege of coming around a table every single week to praise you, to sing hallelujah because praise be to God. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah because you are cool with the tension of our real and ideal in our families and when it's all sorts of jacked up even you had that tension in your family and yet what can I do to help is what you have given to us. Would we live that out and continue to ask forgiveness as we fail? Celebrate where you have allowed us to step deeper into love for each other. We elevate your death and resurrection as we eat and drink together in Jesus' name.